0: You want to know how to get rich today? Teach. That's right. Teach and grow rich. In this episode with Danny Inney, we're going to talk about teach and grow rich and how to build courses to grow your business. Welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jance, and my guest today is Danny Innie. He's the founder of Miracy, the host of the Business Reimagined Podcast, and the best-selling author of multiple books, including one we're going to talk about today, Teach and Grow Rich. So, Danny, welcome back. John, thank you for having me. So, uh, Teach and Grow Rich, uh, for those that are not familiar with it, um, really was the It's kind of the idea of introducing courses and teaching and educating and info products, I guess, uh, which have been with us for for years, really. I mean, I I remember buying some of my first info products before we were online, (laughs) in fact, uh, through through the mail and things of that nature. But what's changed in where we are with, with, and I know you're going to, Swat this out of the park because I've been calling them info products, and I'm I'm doing that intentionally to set you up. Uh, I, so
1: I was you. You said it too many times.
0: <laughs> so so what's changed, Danny?
1: So a big focus of the book, a big focus of my message, is drawing a distinction between information and education, and both are good, both are important, both have their place, but they're very different things. And and when you start confusing them, that's where we have a big problem. So. Let's start with information. the real world analog of what is information is a book in a bookstore. So you walk into a bookstore, you find the book you want that have, that has the information that you hope it will contain. You pay for it. and And this is you know illustrative. Books are not expensive, right? Books don't cost very much money. Information is typically free or cheap. Yeah. Once someone has bought that book, they leave the bookstore, nobody owes them anything, right? When somebody buys a copy of duct tape marketing, You don't owe them anything. I mean, obviously, you've worked as hard as you can to make it the best book that you can. But beyond that, what they do with it is on them. There's no, you know, you're not responsible for their success or lack thereof in any way, shape or form. Now, let's compare that with education in the real world. And that's typically a university course, which, you know, I have my issues with formal education, the way it's structured, but they do some things well. You can't just go and buy a diploma the way you would buy a book. What you can buy, and and typically at a much higher price, education is more expensive for both because of what goes into it and both because of what comes out of it. What you're buying is an opportunity to earn that diploma, to learn a skill, and the responsibility for your success isn't solely on your shoulders. It's also yours, but it's also the teacher's, right? There's a partnership between student and teacher who are working together towards the learning goals of the student.
0: Yeah, some some schools don't get funded unless they graduate people on time, so yeah. I mean, they're, 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 I, there's I a, lot a lot of responsibility. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: Uh, so in the online world, there's been this interesting development where, um, and, and this kind of tracked with just the, the evolving richness of content. You know, 20 mm-hmm. years ago, mm-hmm. the only content you could get online was text content just because of bandwidth limitations. And at some point, people figured out that, hey, I can take written content that I publish in the real world and put it online, and it eliminates all my cost of fulfillment. It eliminates my cost of distribution. This is a great business model. I can put in stuff that's more current, that's more relevant. I can hyperlink it, you know, all really good. And that was the, the e-book boom. You know, people started selling ebooks and sometimes at slightly outlandish prices.
0: Yeah. Yeah, the perceived value in some ways was higher, even if it was the same content, wasn't it? Exactly. Yeah.
1: And at some point, as the media kind of got richer, as bandwidth caught up, people started thinking, well, what if I do the same thing with education? What if I take those lectures and turn them into videos, cut out all the fulfillment costs? Can I deliver an educational experience that leads to real transformation, real outcomes, in an online course format? And you know, that turned into, you know, at, a, at its culmination, the $2,000 course kind of mm-hmm. paradigm. The problem is that the difference between information and education, it's not about the richness of the media. It's about where the responsibility for outcomes lies. So you can have information that is very rich, right? When you're watching TV, that's information. That's not education. A lot of money goes into producing television. It's very high, depending on the show, it's very high production value, but it's still just information.
0: Yeah. Maybe entertainment more than that even.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And and education is, is an interactive experience. Now, Information is good for some things. Information is great for expanding your horizons, for showing you what is possible, where you might want to invest your energies for, ed- for, for education. Mm-hmm. It's also great for integrating new knowledge into existing expertise. So if you're already an expert in something, you can use information to kind of integrate into that. Information is not good at taking from one, someone from a certain level of competence or capability to a higher level. For that, you need education and, and the real problems start coming in when what you're offering what you're selling is information even if it's very rich media you know videos and a membership site etc and you're charging prices that really only make sense for education
0: yeah
1: and you know it's, it's interesting i had a conversation with um my wife about a week ago she's uh her background is finance she's she's our cfo and you know something that came up is that there's an interesting way of telling whether your um whether what you're doing is information or education whether your prices are reasonable cuz you know selling information is fine as long as the price is reasonable and it comes down to your margins and she said something really interesting she said and you know people might disagree about the number specifically but the broad idea holds she said if your margin is much more than 15% you're probably screwing somebody and that was really insightful to me because it's like you know either you're overcharging the customer because someone else can provide what you're providing at, at a substantially cheaper rate, or you're you're screwing yourself because you're not investing in in growth and reaching more people, etc. But the idea was that over a certain margin, if you're if you're just pocketing too much money, you're begging for something in that situation to come in and disrupt you.
0: Yeah, there's I want to uh, go deeper in that because. That, that last point that you made, I think, brought that home, But because there certainly are people that build a reputation, that are seen as an authority, that have best-selling books, and they charge a lot more money. And people feel that an experience with them is worth more, even if they haven't spent any more money to produce that content. So what you're suggesting is, yes, that may be true, but it's a short-lived time frame. Is that, is that what you're saying? Well,
1: it it can be relatively short <laughs> lived until other people catch up, but you know, you've invested I, I think a lot of businesses and especially entrepreneurs aren't good at and this is, you know, we're we're going to a much broader topic, but a lot of entrepreneurs aren't very good at assessing the real value of what they've invested in their business. So if yeah. you've invested, you know, hundreds or thousands of hours of your time into right.
0: developing a level of expertise. Then that was a cost.
1: <laughs> that was a cost that yeah. most people <laughs> pretend
0: didn't happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that makes that makes a ton of sense. So, a, I, I'm not sure if you were finished with that or I cut you off. Um, but the um, the one other thing I want to go back to though is uh, you started introducing this idea of the difference being that that the educator has some accountability for the student or whatever we want to call them to get the result they were hoping for, they were promised. In in particularly in the online world where you know, maybe the interaction is through a course, through a video. Um, how, you know, how much of accountability can we as a course producer, as we as an educator actually take on? Because ultimately, the person has to do something with what we give them.
1: It's a great question. There's a, there's kind of a, a spectrum of perspectives from, you know, on one end, it's like, you know, look, I made my course, you know, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make him drink. Right. You know, once I've built it, it's like, you know, the responsibility is done. And on the other end, it's like, look, if you're Creating something, putting it into the world, and a lot of people are buying it, but very few of them are getting the outcome you're promising. Something doesn't add up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know th- there is a subset of your students that are going to be successful no matter what. Yeah, right. You can have the worst possible course, but you know they have everything in their favor. They have the resources, they have mm-hmm. the time, they have the background, they have the drive. They're going to make it work. Mm-hmm. You've also got a subset of your students that you know you could go to their house and hold their hand as the and it's like it's still never going to happen yeah. with with a right? box they're, of money they're going to fail no matter what <laughs> right it's just they're not there but what about the middle 80% and that's where people need to be honest with themselves and i feel like there's a lot of internal intellectual dishonesty in this industry where people try to make excuses for themselves you know if there's i won't share the name but you know a, a famous internet marketer i was talking to at one point he mentioned that you know he just did a launch and made 4 million dollars and he knows that you know 95% of people aren't going to get past lesson 1 hmm. and in my head I'm like dude you just stole 3.8 million dollars from people like how is that okay it's yeah. just it's not and it's 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 not good for him in the long run it's not good for the industry cuz the, the whole market becomes skeptical it, it's not a good thing for him yeah If most people aren't getting past lesson one, then it's incumbent on us as educators, as leaders, which is what we are if people are paying money to hear what we have to say. It's incumbent on us to give some real serious thought as a real problem we need to solve. What would it take for them to get past lesson one? What would it take for them to actually get the outcomes they want? And, you know, a lot of that, there's a lot that can go into how do you make how do you take your course and make it instead of information make it into education part of that is um you know a process of re-engineering the course to help people get better results sometimes that's layering in support where people are going to need it um but my perspective is that you cannot get away with you can't justify charging a premium for something that doesn't get people results and the direction that that course buying behavior and the market is going would seem to bear that out and on the other hand if you can get people the outcome there's a huge booming market for premium courses and that's that's something that should be really interesting to a lot of
0: entrepreneurs so you're saying you said a couple things i want to follow up on there so you're saying that you see uh even though there are more and more people selling courses on how to build courses (laughs) uh course buying in itself is going down is that is that what you're suggesting
1: I'm saying it depends on what kind of courses, and it's not the course buying is going down. It's about how much people are spending on ah, courses. Okay. So, um, you know, Udemy is a great example of this. Mm-hmm. Typically, if you want to see where the market assigns the value of a certain kind of product, look at the biggest marketplace in the world, right? If you want to know what an ebook is worth to most people in the world, look at Kindle because it's the biggest marketplace. So on Udemy, most pri- most courses are. It used to be that it was by recommendation. Now it's actually constrained. Um, can't cost more than a couple hundred dollars, and most of them are like 50 bucks or less. Mm -hmm. That's what people see an information-based course as being worth. You know, there's um, a company called Masterclass. Are you familiar with them? Mm -hmm. So for listeners who may not know them, um, they're working with celebrities and creating courses, quote-unquote, and they're very much information courses. They're not education. But you can, for example, take an acting class from Dustin Hoffman, or a screenwriting class for Aaron Sorkin, yeah um, that, which yeah. I took because it's great now it's not education you know I have I as the person who took the course, have no contact with Aaron Sorkin Aaron Sorkin has no responsibility for my learning or growth or development as screenwriter, and, and that's perfectly fine it's a hundred dollars, but it's got to raise the question you know if if, if I can get a hundred dollar course quote unquote from Aaron Sorkin, why would I pay even $100 for an information-based course, you know, not education, on the same topic from anyone else. Hmm. But the flip side is that if I take Aaron Sorkin's course, I'm like, this is awesome, I really want to go deeper. There's no way Aaron Sorkin is investing the time to work with me (laughs) on improving my screenwriting. You know, where can I go to get that level of support? Aaron Sorkin's just created a need in the market. And this is happening in more and more spaces and in industries. So people who have something to teach and are willing to create the
0: infrastructure that will support the student to get the result are about to see an enormous amount of growth. So what are the keys then to to bridging, you know, over to in your mind education opposed to? I mean, are there there are several elements that are have to be kind of thing?
1: Yeah. So the first key is. Just to build a course the right way, and, and and really, it's about recognizing that you're not going to build a course the right way your first go around, because <laughs> it's hard. You know, there's there's a lot of complexity. You don't know how students are going to, uh, you know, integrate the various pieces of information you're sharing. Right. And so recognize you're not going to get it 100% the first time, and that's fine if you're aware of it. It means that you're going to start with a smaller group, because if you have a thousand students. I mean, you're, you're screwed. You know, what are you going to do? <laughs> you're just going to collapse under their weight. If you have a few dozen or, or depending on your infrastructure, you know, a hundred, then you can manage that. You can invest the resources, your time, your team, whatever, to yeah. answer everybody's questions, to help them get the outcome they, they want. Yeah. And that's important because you need that case study. You need that testimonial for down the line. But it's also important because answering those questions allows you to gather the questions. And you're going to have two categories of questions. One category is the questions that, you know, everyone's asking their own unique question. Mm -hmm. And that's a layer of support that you're always going to need to, to provide. But that's usually the minority of the questions. The majority of the questions are questions where everybody's asking the same question. And that's a cue to you that you just need to fix the course so that question doesn't come up to begin with. And once you've done a few rounds of that and basically ironed out all the bumps that are making it challenging for people, You can put a level of support on the table that will get people the result they want in a way that's cost effective.
0: So in a lot of ways, what you're saying is you should go into this realizing that you can only get it so good. But but there has to be a commitment to to get feedback, to do focus groups or do whatever it takes to to fix what you know is going to be um, challenging or not what you know is, but what you determine ends up being challenging.
1: Exactly. And, and that's not to say it has to be arduous and that's not to say it has to be, you know, you can make money while you're doing all this. These are right. going to be paying students and, and you can have a lot of fun. You can, it can be very lucrative to do this, but you have to be open to, you know, just like in the, in the software development, right? World, the, the mantra mm-hmm. is first make it work, then make it better. Yeah. So same kind of thing. First, make it work, then make it better, then explode it to, to, you know, hundreds of thousands of people.
0: So do you advocate, um, especially somebody like you that has, like, let's say you were creating a new program and you have a following, you have some customers, do you advocate kind of building it with them as opposed to for them? Absolutely. I Um, mean, like, like in the early stages, maybe saying, here's kind of what I'm thinking about. Here's the outline. What do you think? I mean, almost that level.
1: I don't know if I would, so this is really interesting. You want people to be involved and complicit. You want to get their feedback. That's not the same thing as designing by committee. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And the challenge there is that often people will know what they think they want, but they don't have the expertise.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. So in general, this is a a feedback collection topic, but I think a lot of entrepreneurs are very lazy about feedback collection. Mm -hmm. Um, It's your customer, your audience, it's their job to tell you what they're thinking. Right? It's your job to parse that into something useful. Right. When you try to phrase the question into something like, you know, what do you think I should teach I should yeah. teach you next? It's like, well if I knew that then I would be the teacher and not the student. Right? Yeah, her, so
0: my favorite is what's the one thing we could do to make this better? Um, boy, mm-hmm. you get you get three hundred and forty seven one things. Yep. So it's it's
1: very important to be careful. Just recognize, you know, people don't have the expertise. They're not good judges usually of their buying behavior. And so you want to ask questions that people can answer in a meaningful way. And then you've got to tease out the value. So I wouldn't ask necessarily, you know, give me your input on the outline and that kind of stuff. But I would bring in, especially if you have a large audience, if you have a following, that makes it easier. But you can do it even if you don't. You know, your first group of students, it should be higher touch. You should be delivering right. live. It should be yeah. ideally in a context, maybe it's a video chat or something, mm-hmm. where you can see their faces. So if you yeah. explain something and they don't get it, you know that right away. And use that input to allow you to pivot and redirect. And the advantage of this is that you can also charge more money.
0: Yeah. yeah, and And I think there's a real... Hunger for that, too, because like you said, there's a whole generation almost of online folks that have had nothing but the seventy nine to a thousand dollar course thrown at them and and felt like they hadn't gotten anywhere and I think that there's a real hunger for almost more of a consultative you know approach to to education I think that two thousand dollar price point,
1: which is a little bit iconic in yeah. some markets, I think it's going to start falling away because is just too much to charge for information. There's no way to justify it. But if you slice the math, if you kind of do the real cost analysis, it's really hard to provide a meaningful
0: level of support at $2,000. Yeah. So how does a, um, and I know that people are in all different places. And so you would say, well, it depends for the most part, but can a course be part of just about anybody's business model. So, you know, I, I, my last guest, um, Actually uh, created a, a a very innovative approach to um, a bar. It's a bottle shop and a bar at the same time. So they sell packaged goods as well as craft beer, and it was a very innovative approach. And he, um, you know, the business is going great. Uh, but now he, you know, about three times a week he fields. Calls from wannabe and existing, you know, businesses wanting to know how he did it. I mean, is that the kind of business that should have a course as well? I mean, I, I guess I'm just trying to throw it out there to say, you know, is a course a business, or should a course be a piece of a business?
1: Um, it can it can be both of those things. Mm-hmm. I, I think there's a difference between the question: um, should that be a course, or could that be a course? Uh-huh. Um, I think it definitely could be a course. If this is something that he knows that other people would benefit from learning and have a desire to learn, yes, it could be a course. Whether it should be a course depends on on this person's business goals.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah, it might be right. a
1: giant distraction. Right. So, <laughs> right. Like, I, I try to be careful about, you know, prescribing the same thing to every person. Just yeah. because they can do it doesn't mean they should.
0: Yeah. So what about collaboration? Do you see anybody, any, any like, Three or four people coming together and be collectively having something totally amazing—it's um, very rare. Yeah, um, it's an interesting question. It's—it's it's,
1: you know I've been talking about this with a lot of people for a long time, and it, it hasn't come up very much. Um, my feeling is that the reason why it doesn't happen often is that like either you know something well enough that you know it creates a discrete package that would be valuable to people, right? Or you don't. Yeah. If you don't, it takes a very particular level of insight to say, if I added this, that this other person would know, we could create something valuable mm-hmm. without actually kind of knowing that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so so it, I'm sure it happens, you know, never say never, but it's yeah. pretty rare.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the way you explained it makes sense. It actually, there may actually be some great collaborations out there, but it's very difficult for people to actually realize it.
1: The collaborations are more often, um, you know, one person would be the subject matter expert and mm-hmm. another would be the course creator or marketer. Yeah. that makes more sense than than two curriculum people kind of coming together to create a super
0: curriculum. So you've mentioned a couple times uh, this $2,000 price falling away. You know, where 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 is pricing um, in your opinion? And and obviously there's not going to be like one price threshold, but you know, how do you see people needing to price their courses um, and education?
1: Uh, it depends a lot on what your market is and what the outcomes are you're promising. Mm. Um, typically, when I'm working with people, the first course is a pilot, right? So it's it's less finished, but sometimes higher touch. So the pricing can be all over the map. But you know, if you're just getting started, if you don't have much of a name or following, et cetera, your first pilot will very likely be in the range of a hundred to five hundred dollars. You know, specifics of a market notwithstanding. Yeah. I've, but that said, I've seen pilots of ten thousand dollars or more. Right. You know, uh, uh, Jeannie Dietrich. She's a she's a mutual friend of ours. Her first pilot, um, she she did very very well with it, and she has a very particular audience and a very particular background and positioning to, to make all that possible.
0: Um, so really, it's kind. She of all also had that. a lot of really a lot of people who really liked her who she'd never tried to sell anything to for a while. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I always laugh with her about that. She's she's so nice, and she's never asked anybody for any money. So that that's probably why she was so successful. <laughs> it, it's a. I'll
1: tell you what. It's interesting because that creates a lot of social proof. Yeah. It creates a lot of social capital. Yeah. And it can create a lot of challenging expectations. Yeah, that's true too. <laughs> so, I mean, it can it can certainly help, and it did. And, you know, you work with what you've got. But I wouldn't say to someone who's like. You know how can I get started in courses? Start by giving away information for free for seven years. <laughs> you could, but it's it's not the shortest path from A to B.
0: Yeah, well, and in fact, in some ways, you 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 train a bunch of people that they will never ever have to pay for anything. Exactly. Um, so, um, what are some? Let's talk a little bit about tools, um, and and then I want. I, I, I do want to finish up with you talking about, uh, you know, as, as we were recording this, depending on when people listen to this, you have a, a new course yourself that really does take this idea of course building to a higher level. Um, But uh, uh, talk a little bit about some of your favorite tools.
1: Uh, Actually, I'm very biased towards keeping things as low tech as possible. Yeah. Because the first time you run a course, you want to be able to see people. You want to eliminate anything that would, add complexity or keep you from getting to market and after you've run a course after you've started making money after you know better what your customers and your audience and your students actually need you can justify looking deeper into different technologies so you know i would tell people uh, most people know skype or zoom which is right, kind right. of like yep. you know skype if skype were better <laughs> um but you know, Zoom is like ten bucks a month or something, and and you can probably run your first course off of Zoom, basic video conferencing technology. Yeah, there's recording
0: like and you know, yeah, right, yeah. So Zoom and email. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> like I, I, there's a lot that you can do with technology once you get to a certain scale. Yeah, and it's it's really exciting. It's really interesting, but for most people. You just want to keep the technology out of the picture as much as possible so you can get to market and help some students.
0: And I, think, well. and I think that's great advice, too, because I think a lot of people get tripped up trying to, and I'm not picking on Kajabi or something, but trying to you know, use a platform like that that's built with all these high-tech things and upsells and downsells. And, and I think sometimes they get so tripped up in that that they don't produce the content. So great, great advice. So talk a little bit about your course, if you would. Um, and and again, it's a course on building courses, but I think on building them in the way that we're talking about today.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much focused. So the program is called the Course Builders Laboratory, and it's you know we came to create this after having built a number of courses and been appro- on other topics and been approached by students saying, you know, hey, I've taken a lot of courses online that were not very helpful to me, and yours were, and how can I do that? And so the program teaches how to build a course that is effective and creates outcomes for students and how to sell it. And, and it's not two different skill sets. You can't build a good course in a way that is divorced from actually getting it to market. So it's really mm-hmm. about getting to market to the right people as quickly as possible, getting their dollars so that they're invested, not just financially, but but they're invested in the process um, getting their input, making it better, and and scaling that up as much as you want to scale it up to. And we have students, I mean, I just had um, a note in, in our Facebook group the other day who's like, you know, he just chimed in with a question. He's like, hey, you haven't heard from me in a while because we've been busy implementing the, co- implementing the course. We've launched two of our programs. We made $25,000. Now I have this question. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think I've ever seen you in performance before. <laughs> it's like that's that's great, that's awesome. So we've seen you know really impressive, and that's just one. You know, we mm-hmm. have hundreds of case studies. We've seen a lot of very successful students in a lot of different industries um, work with. We've graduated many thousand students at this point, point. Um, and yeah, I'm just I'm really excited about it. It's uh, it, it's kind of the core of what we do, and you know, I, I'm I'd love to tell people go check out my course, buy it, but. Honestly, for anyone who's listening to this, if you're, if you're interested in exploring this, um, my book Teach and Grow Rich is coming out in second edition at the end of the month. And anyone who wants um, a copy of that, if you go to teachandgrowrichbook.com, you can both get on the notification list to get a digital copy for free, which will give you a deep dive into a lot of these ideas. Um, if you want to pay $19 you can also pre-order a hard copy of the book and get a whole bunch of bonuses but as a gift to listeners of this podcast if you use the coupon code duct tape um, that's duc 2 T's A-P-E, um the first 50 people to do that can get a hard copy of the book with all the bonuses for free so that's you know, a thousand dollars that I'd like to offer as a gift to listeners of this podcast.
0: And we'll have the links uh, in the show notes and, and uh, we're recording this. I'm recording this with Danny in uh, mid January of 2017, depending upon when you end up hearing this, maybe those books will be gone or those bonuses will be gone, uh, but maybe not check it out. Danny, thanks so much yep. for joining us. I, I love, uh, I love just discussing these topics with you because you're just so thoughtful about them. And I think you're, you're one of the people doing it right. Uh, We kind of joked offline about the the various internet marketers that have been with us for years, and uh, you're certainly selling educational products and courses that teach people how to make money doing what they love, but you're doing it the right way, and I appreciate you.
1: John, thank you very much. It's an honor and a privilege to call you a friend. I hope this has been valuable to everyone who's listening.